Well, if you have your Bibles, uh, you can go to Isaiah chapter 40 and uh, go to Exodus 33. Isaiah chapter 40, and maybe you guys can quote it by now. You should be able to. We've been in a series called Waiting on the Lord because God's Spirit has been saying, hey, listen, this is the time where suddenly many people are going to come into relationship with God. Many people are going to find a, a fresh passion and fresh zeal and fresh baptism in God's presence. And as the Lord revealed those things, uh, he said, I want you to focus on the seed, the soil, the soaking in the sun. And he says, and the nature of what you're going to experience is found in Isaiah chapter 40. And it says this, but those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. I don't know if you know this about God, but he sees how strong or weak you are. And he is committed to making you strong in your walk with him. He says, I will renew your strength. He says, this is what is going to look like. You're going to mount up on wings as eagles. You're going to run and not be weary. You're going to walk and not faint. You're going to be steadfast. You're going to have divine appointments that you keep. You're going to have the wind of God blowing in your life. I don't know about you, but this excites me. This excites me that God is committed to our strength. And, and as a result of, of, of the Spirit of God really speaking to me and saying, hey, this is starting now. We've been focusing on the seed of the Word of God. And many of you have been tracking along every sermon. And if you haven't, then please go to Calvary.online. Listen to those messages about the seed of the Word of God and how powerful it is and how life-giving it is. It's why we're, we're reading together through the whole New Testament in, 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 in this time. It, it, the seed of the Word of God is ever everything. And then it hits the soil. The soil is the condition of our hearts. And we've been talking about how God has been cleansing our hearts and doing a deep work within us and even changing out our filters as we heard uh, last week and, and saying, hey, we're getting rid of all of the things that would keep us from hearing what God is saying and allowing it to flourish in our lives. But Right as we are entering into a time, like just as, you know, as God's providence always will, we're going into a time to figure out what does it mean to focus on the seed, the soil, and then the soaking. I don't know why God did this, but some of you didn't ask for it, but last week you put a pond in your backyard. Did anyone notice? You put in a lake. You didn't even get a permit. God did it. It's like all of a sudden when we as a church were transitioning into a moment where we were to understand what it was like to soak in God's presence in the elements around us, God says, listen, I'm going to show you what this looks like. Day after day, you can't escape being wet. You have to plan on trying to stay dry. If I, if I don't leave with a raincoat and an umbrella and park right in the right spot, I am going to be wet. And much in the same way, boy, if you're in this atmosphere of what God is doing and you're trying to stay dry, boy, you're really going to have to have a plan. 
You're going to have all because when you get into this atmosphere, you just get drenched in his love, drenched in his purpose, drenched in his goodness. So stop trying to stay dry. It's time to soak. We'll see. Okay, well, what does that mean? We found out um, this last first Wednesday, if you didn't get a chance to tune into that, go listen to that message about what happens when people begin to value the presence of God. What does it look like when the people become presence-driven rather than principle-driven? It changes everything. And there was a moment in history where this very thing took place, where God brought Israel out of Egypt. Egypt in the Old Testament is like a type and a shadow of being enslaved to sin. And there they were, enslaved to sin, and God saves them. Many of you in this room know what that means. I've been born again. God came and rescued me when I couldn't rescue myself. He comes and rescues, and he begins to teach a people about what it means to value God's presence. They don't have his word yet. They're saved And the first thing he's teaching them is about his presence. Now, he wants to give them instruction. What happens? They they go out. They come to the Red Sea. God splits splits the Red Sea, walks them through on dry ground, drowns the Egyptians. They actually start walking. They go, uh, they, they, they need water. They go to a place called Elam. Elam had bitter waters. There's a miracle there. God made the, the water sweet, but they were on their way to Sinai. Sinai was the place of God's manifested presence, where God's presence came down like a fire on the top of the mountain. Actually, the modern day actual Mount Sinai, not the one they allow you to go tour because that's not the one, the real Mount Sinai is, has black rock on the top of it. It looks as if there is a shadow being cast on that mountain, but there is not. When God came down on that mountain, he charred every rock on the top of it. Still there to this day. And there, there, he, God comes down on this mountain and he invites elders up the mountain. He invites people into his presence. And then he says, Moses and Joshua, Moses, Moses, it's time for you to come up into my presence. Leave the people behind with Aaron and her. If they have any problems, they'll be able to take care of it. Leave them behind, and you come up into my presence. And that journey begins. Moses and Joshua going up the mountain into the presence of God. Looks like lightning and thunder and fire to everybody else. But it's the very thing that Moses and Joshua were drawn into. Now, they were up there 40 days, 40 days, no food, which teaches us a lesson. The presence of God will change your appetites and satisfy your needs at a deeper level than you could have ever imagined. Some people say, yeah, Moses did a 40-day fast. I don't believe that. I think Moses did a 40-day feast. He was just feasting at a different table. He wasn't eating natural food. He was so satisfied in the presence of God. He's like, oh man, I don't need anything temporary when I'm dwelling in the eternal. 
He's up on the mountain, God speaking to him, giving, them, giving the people the instruction, what would literally become the Torah, and down at the bottom of the mountain, the people have lost their minds. Lost their minds. They, they made, they're like, well, Moses has been gone for weeks. A bunch of fire on that mountain. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to make an idol out of what we think that God is. And there they are, and they make this golden calf, which is actually connected to a God in Egypt. It was a God they had seen in Egypt. Maybe it's this one. And God says, Moses, you've got to get down there. And he comes back down the mountain. And literally is so upset, he breaks the written word on stones. He throws it down and they break. And God, God gives some instruction in this moment. These people, he's just saved. But they don't know the value of God's presence. They don't know the value of not having mixture. They don't know. They don't know how holy God is. They don't know. They don't know what he's really like. And God had made promises to Moses. He said, listen, I am going to take these people and do something significant in them. And this is where we catch up with a conversation between Moses and God. And in Exodus 33, verses 1 through 3, it says this. He said, my presence will go with you and I'll, he says, no, no, verse one. Then the Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob saying to your descendants, I will give it. God says, I will send my angel before you and I'll drive out the Canaanite and the Amorite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Go to the land flowing with milk and honey for I will not go. This is God speaking. I will not go up in your midst lest I consume you on the way for you are a stiff-necked people. And Moses begins to intercede. Because God's saying, listen, if I go, it's likely judgment will fall on their attitude of heart toward me. I better not go. I'll send an angel. I'll make good on every promise I made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm going to do it. I'm not going, though. And that statement sends Moses, the leader, into intercession. He begins to cry out to God and he has a conversation with God. And God says to Moses, basically, I'm going to be with you, but I'm not sure about them. So God says this, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to God, if your presence doesn't go with us, do not bring us up from here. 
Leave us right here at this mountain. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except that you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are on the face of the earth. By the way, just in case you, you, you were wondering... Uh, and you thought that people in the Old Testament were actually saved by works. Nonsense. God, right here in this moment of intercession, Moses said the only way people are saved in Old Covenant or New Covenant is by grace. So it, it never changed. It was always by grace through faith. But now it's by grace through faith. In the only Son of God, the Lamb of God given to pay the price for our sins. Moses intercedes. This is a significant moment. God offers to completely fulfill the promises. He says, I will fulfill every promise. There's only one issue. It will be without my presence. And I want to say to you that it is possible, listen to me church, it's possible to possess promises made in the Bible and to live absent of the presence of God. Can I just tell you that, listen, God may give you promises of increase and you may begin to work the principles uh, of the scripture. By the way, praise God for the breakthrough that people are getting in financial peace. $30,000 worth of debt just retired in five families. $15,000 saved. Fifteen. Uh, I mean, credit cards getting cut up. That's glory to God. I believe it's not happening because of the principles. I believe it's because of the presence of God resting on a people. Saying we're going to get free of every chain of slavery. I'm not going to live like I'm in Egypt. You can have promises. Man, we can have a marriage conference here. You guys shower. Put on some smell good, turn and look and talk to each other, all sweet and nice. Y'all wanting to leave the marriage conference because things are so good. But let me tell you, while that's good, you'll never have the marriage that God wants you to have until the priority is God's presence in your marriage. And that changes everything. See, this is a significant moment because you can possess the, pr the promise without the presence. And Moses received this. He says, the promises of God are nothing without the presence of God. And God is restoring this awareness to the church. That the promises of God mean nothing. So what if we grow and have numbers? It means nothing without the presence of God. It means nothing without the God of the universe actually coming among us, pouring out his spirit and changing lives as only he can. Our pursuit of God's promises over our lives are secondary to our pursuit of his presence.
There was a man in the Old Testament, his name David. He, he has, his whole life was connected to promises. I love this story, Samuel the prophet going to look for Saul's successor. God tells him, go to the house of Jesse. He gets a hold of him and says, Jesse, bring out your sons. And boy, he brought out the best sons, the oldest ones, the good-looking ones. Jesse was trying to use humanism. By the way, that's... Woo! That's a, that's a fruit of the Spirit when you can hold your tongue. <laughs> Much of the church world operates in humanism because they think if they put the best-looking people up on the stage, more people will come to Christ. That's nonsense. We need the most anointed people. And see, here's the thing. Jesse, Jesse brings out the best-looking ones. He's got them all standing there. And Samuel goes, no, 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 no. Gets to the end of the line and said, Jesse, are these all the sons you have? He goes, well, there is that other one. <laughs> that red-headed boy out there, that ruddy boy, he's out there with the sheep. He didn't want to come in and shower and get ready, so I just left him out there. He's not the one I would choose anyway. Samuel said, where is he? Samuel takes his oil and he says, I see this ruddy boy who smells. He's got the, he's got the smell of sheep on him. He's got the smell of outside, the sweat of his brow, caring for sheep. And suddenly, God changed the fragrance of his life when a horn of oil connected to promise was poured over him. And he says, I have found a man after my own heart of your kingdom. There will be no end. Promising that through this sweaty little boy, Christ's kingdom was going to come his listen his whole life was connected to promise but oh when you find David walking in the plan of God for his life he says in Psalm 27 he says one thing I have desired of the Lord that will I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold his beauty and to inquire in his temple he's like listen I'm not seeking the fulfillment of promise in my life I want his presence I want his presence I want him that's my one thing I said this Wednesday night Israel never gathered around a sermon they were taught Moses would teach them from the word but they didn't gather Around a sermon, they gathered around the manifest presence of God. You say, well, you know, I've always been taught that God is everywhere. He is. But he's not manifesting everywhere. Manifest means he makes his presence known. Just in case you were checking it out last night, God isn't in the bar. The way he is here. Why? Because he loves to manifest where he is exalted. He says, I dwell in the praises of my people. I, he goes, I'm everywhere, but I manifest where I'm exalted. 
Some of y'all are saying, yeah, I was there last night. He wasn't there. <laughs> In Jesus' name. His presence in our personal lives, homes, marriage, children, jobs, and ministry has to be our priority. You know, as a church, we have some promises. Let me let you know what they are, in case you don't. This house is called to be a regional house of awakening. This is a place where people come and suddenly they encounter God and they wake up. We have had people, and this may be someone's story who's sitting here today, who have pastored churches and done great works for God, but leave a broken situation, and they leave fractured, and they were following the call of God, but it didn't work out the way they thought it was going to work out, and something devastated happened. But when they came into Calvary, suddenly life began to surge into them, and the presence of God began to, to touch them, and then what happened? They were sent back out. Some of you, that's your story. You've come here. Because you need to come awake to how this thing is really supposed to be organized and prioritized. It is around his presence. This is a place where people can come and, and be awake. I had a pastor one time. All we were doing was just walking in. No cameras, nothing. We were walking in to pray in this place. And that pastor walked in and he knelt in the back and wept for an hour and this is what he said. He says, I don't know what's happening in this place, but I, can't, I come in here and the conflict ends and an open heaven opens up over me. And suddenly he's getting vision for his church. He's getting vision for what God wants to do. I'm telling you, that's our assignment. But listen, I'm not pursuing awakening apart from the presence of God. We're called to be a well of healing. You know what that means? That people are going to get healed in their spirits by getting born again. Uh, we're, we're praying that people would get manifested, uh, manifested healing of God. Eyes will open. The lame will walk. We're going to see the power of God. It's our calling to be a well of healing. But we are not pursuing that assignment, that promise. We're pursuing his presence. And as a result, the promise will manifest. And this is the way it is to work in our personal lives. To pursue God's presence. To soak. To wait on the Lord. Now, this is the beautiful part of this. As we are suddenly realizing that it has to be God's presence. Listen, I know what it's like to grow up in a, in a, in a, a religious atmosphere where the word of God is taught, but where the spirit of God is not revered. I understand that. I got great biblical grounding in that atmosphere. But I didn't realize that those were the principles of God and the principles of God were supposed to get me daily in touch with the prince. I didn't realize it. The number one motivator behind this kind of living, behind this kind of idea is this. His presence in our lives is his priority. It's not just us saying, we want you, God. Oh, from the very beginning of time, God has been whispering over man, I want to be with you. I can prove it to you. Before the fall, there's Adam and God and Eve walking with God in the cool of the day. 
But then you know the scene where the serpent come and Eve is deceived and she eats and then she gives some to Adam and he partakes and they rebel against God's instruction. Here they are in sin, fallen, headed toward death. But I want you to see what God was doing. Genesis 3.8 says this, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Yes, there is truth that you and I need to understand that sin always wants to make you hide from God. But here's the good news. Why do they need To hide. Because he is coming looking for them. He is pursuing them. You see, your presence is what he's pursuing. He comes down in the midst of their brokenness to the very place of their failure. And he's walking in their failure. The garden. He's walking there. And he even says, where are you, Adam? God wasn't asking that question as if he didn't know. He was asking that question, asking Adam, where are you? Sometimes when we begin, we get into sin and we get into a place where sin has made us numb to the presence of God. That's the very question that comes up. God, where are you? When all along God is looking back at us going, where are you? Where are you? You need to understand that he is committed to having you in his presence. He said, I'm coming down in their sin. I'm coming down and demonstrating my love. I'm coming down in their rebellion. I'm coming down in their idolatry. I'm coming down and coming after them. Not only do we have to be people that prioritize his presence, we need to know he has prioritized you. Said, I want to be with you. We find this in John 17 and in Jesus' high priestly prayer, prayed right before, right before he goes to the cross. There's an obvious theme of unity, but there's another theme I want you to see today. Starting in verse 20, it says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Listen, that they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me, I have given them. That they may be one just as we are one and I in them, you and me. That they may be perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Here is the obvious theme. Yes, God wants us unified with one another, loving one another, keeping in, in, uh, in, in congruent with one another. But there is another theme here. God is saying, listen, I want blessed unity personally with each one of you. It says, I in you, you in me. He's saying this 
is why I'm going to the cross. I'm going to give you my presence. I'm going to put my presence on your life. The cross is the pathway to presence. And listen to this. It is this presence of God in our life that shouts to the world. God sent Jesus. That's what he said. He said, then they will know that you have sent me. When? When I am in them. When they're living in intimacy with the presence of God. When you're walking with an awareness of God's presence. Listen, if you're on the same page reading program uh, with us this summer as we're reading through the New Testament, as you should be. If not, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Get back in the Bible. Today is Galatians 5. Today is Galatians 5. You want to know the theme of Galatians 5? It is the glorious life in the Spirit because Jesus broke the curse off of us. It's not by works. It's by the glorious work of Jesus. And so we get this instruction in Galatians 5. Since we live in the Spirit, since we're born again, let us then also keep in step with the Spirit. Let's be people who who allow the presence of God to manifest through us everywhere that we go, on our jobs, on our campuses next week, uh, in our community, in our church. Let's be the people that carry the presence of God that, that tells all of this county, Jesus is raised from the dead because of the presence that is on their life. That's why God is saying, it's time to wait on the Lord to let me change your appetite. Let me change your heart. Stop pursuing promises. Begin to pursue presence and watch promises from God manifest in your life. Begin to say, God... I want to be a significant witness to the testimony of Jesus. Exodus 33, 16. This final statement that Moses makes. It's a powerful one. It says this, For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people, Who are upon the face of the earth. What sets the people of God apart? Is it that they're just obeying the rules? No. It's they are people of presence. They are people who love God. Who love his presence. Who carry it everywhere they go. something different about them there's something different about those people over at Calvary Church they they work different they talk different when they pray things happen he said surely they will know that we have found grace in your sight